You know, it's the dog days of summer out there, and records are being broken for temperatures across the country. But over at ACEC, our eyes are fixed on October, because that's when we're going to be holding our 2023 Fall Conference. That's right, and registration is open now for the event taking place from October 15th through the 18th in beautiful Austin, Texas. Now go over to our website, www.acec.org FC to get all the information you need to register for this event. Now seize your opportunity to be part of the largest event in the engineering design service industry focused on the business of engineering where professionals attend educational sessions, major networking events, forums, roundtables, and more. Early Bird, again, ends on September 14th. Make sure you lock in the best rate possible. Go to www.acec.org fc for all the information you need. Again, the 2023 ACEC Fall Conference, Austin, Texas, October 15th through 18th. We'll see you there. The AEC industry is rapidly changing, but your team doesn't have time to reinvent workflows for every new technology or client demand. ProjectWise, powered by iTwin, puts you in control and positions your firm for non-disruptive change. Whether you need to improve design quality, optimize existing processes, or even get started with digital delivery and digital twins, ProjectWise enables you to make the most of what you already have without starting over. Visit go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to see how ProjectWise is empowering AEC firms to do more with less. Once again, that's go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Engineering Influence podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And today we're going to be looking at something which is really endemic, not only not to engineering, but to almost every specialty field out there, especially coming out of the pandemic. And that is the gap, the skills gap that we're seeing a lot of students graduating from college experiencing. And there was a story not too long ago at the beginning of August in the Wall Street Journal, which was pretty alarming, which kind of focused in on these technical degrees uh, being uh, 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 you know, bestowed upon these students, especially the ones who actually suffered through uh, remote learning in, during the pandemic and realizing that a lot of these students didn't have the hands-on uh, applied skills that they would otherwise have in lab courses or sometimes uh, university programs don't even really teach these hands-on skills that they need. And they had a, a stat, which was a little bit alarming. I'm going to read this stat from the article. It says, from, uh, since 2020, when the pandemic began and remote learning moved students out of schools and into vir virtual classrooms, the pass rates on national certifications and assessment exams taken by engineers, office workers, soldiers, and nurses have fallen. Now, get this. Among the approximately 40,000 candidates taking the fundamentals of engineering exam for work as professional engineers, scores fell by about 10% during the pandemic. 
said David Cox, CEO of National Council of Examiners for Engineering and Surveying. That's something, um, you know, that skills gap is something that needs to be addressed. And, and a lot of times engineers, you know, they're, they're taught how to think and how to approach problems. But when it comes down to the actual applications to achieve those solutions, you know, there is a gap. And uh, with our new website, thankfully, we have a nice little, you know, fill out the form if you'd like to be a guest. And, and we are contacted by David Sellers, who is the CEO of the Virtual Design and Construction Institute. Uh, He's a fellow Penn State alum. Uh, he's an architect by uh, education and, and licensing, and he also has an MBA. And 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 David, I, I welcome to the show. Number one, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, and, and tell us a little bit more about uh, VDCI and 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 kind of, you know, how you kind of fit in with this skills gap issue that we're experiencing. Yeah, thank you, thank you for having me. I'm excited to to be here having this conversation. It's a conversation I seem to be having a lot more recently, um, but let's start with VDCI. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm now running VDCI. VDCI was founded as CAD teacher uh, about 25 years ago. Uh, that was on site teaching hands-on skills, specifically for architecture at the time, but AutoCAD and Revit all the way back in the early 2000s. And uh, we have since moved online. We're now a fully online school. We've been online for about 10 years. Uh, but teaching these practical hands-on skills, especially in architectural and engineering software. And we've started to expand into the gaps that we're talking about, um, basic gaps. We're talking about blueprint reading skills. These are skills that every single person on a job site needs, every single person in an engineering office needs. And most of the time, people are being hired without knowing what a door symbol is or without knowing what a tag is or any of these things that we kind of take for granted after years in the industry, these, uh, these new hires, these uh, recent graduates are graduating without those skills. So VDCI's goal is to provide education to help people get entry-level positions. That's what our programs are geared towards, uh, specifically in architectural engineering software. But now uh, more than ever, we're seeing an increase in enrollment in construction skills, um, construction management skills for project engineers. We're seeing estimating being a big request. Uh, and we just added a new series in soft skills. So communication, self time management, uh, meeting management, negotiation, all the things you want your team to be really good at. Um, we're seeing just kind of a lack coming out of recent graduates. It was impacted by many schools not being prepared to be online in the pandemic. Uh, that's where we have found ourselves to be very strong, which is fortunate because we've been online for more than 10 years. But yeah, this this gap, I'm happy to talk more about it. Um, but we've we've found that need, found it to be really dire for some offices. And we've been very happy to get more skills into their, their team's hands. And for our recent graduates coming out of uh, different programs and different degrees, they come to us right after. They get hands-on training and then when they go to the workforce they're very prepared yeah yeah, yeah so happy to continue Absolutely. the conversation I mean, you and i were talking um a couple days ago about your experience at penn state and essentially the um the fact that uh so many uh firms of course rely on okay this is great but can you do this in in, in revit and the fact that yeah. that program itself and a lot of the professors who are teaching uh these courses have been doing uh, the academic work, if they're not splitting their time between uh, 
being maybe an associate professor and still doing the work during the day, but instead are ensconced within the academy, they might not be fully prepared and fully up to date on the software changes or the demands that they have and, and kind of explain your, your, your experience and having to kind of fill that gap as a, as a teaching assistant. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of things stand out to me, and it's not the fault of the individuals themselves. That's the important thing. The institutions, especially higher ed institutions, four-year degrees and five-year degrees, they are hiring people with a lot of real-world experience. They're hiring people with um, theory, practical knowledge. You know, we're talking about structural calculations or you know these kind of high-level skills that a, uh, an accreditor will value and, and an educational institution will value. The problem is they haven't been in the trenches in years, either at their professional practice or at their uh, you know, academic institution. They're not sitting down and doing Revit details. That's just not their job anymore. And it hasn't been for some time. So they're teaching these young people uh, to go get a job and the the amount of anecdotes that I received were invaluable. They were great. But when I went to get a job, I was asked to do something that I never learned how to do, and they just couldn't teach me. So uh, at Penn State, they developed a system where they asked the students to teach themselves. That was their, uh, it wasn't a last ditch effort, but that was the best resource they had. Students going to the job sites, doing uh, a summer internship, coming back to school, they were more prepared to teach entry-level skills than the professors were. And that's the, that's the problem. Uh, it's the value of the academic institutions. We have to continue to pass on this institutional knowledge at a high level. But where is the part of the program that's supporting these young people getting that entry-level job, making sure they feel comfortable being a value add to the company? And on the other side of the coin, these hiring managers, and often these firms aren't big enough to have an internal training program. Often these, they don't have someone to delegate training to. So they're taking away billable time to sit down with a new hire and give them basic Revit training. And, and that takes away from their, uh, you know, their schedule, from their billable time. And it might not be what they want to do or even what they're that good at. You know, you're asking every uh, BIM manager, not only to be good at Revit, but also to be good at teaching. So these sorts of challenges that firms are experiencing are, um, I'm seeing it all over the place. And so that's where we're able to come in and say, we're excited you got technical, uh, or not technical, but high level theoretical skills or mathematical skills or all of these skills you need, but we can come in and support a company or support an individual, get those skills that on day one will make them feel like a value add to the company and not disrupt the company's uh, workflow, right? That's the, that's the big part for when we're partnering with um, these uh, commercial offices. Yeah, especially, I mean, especially for smaller firms, right? And, and, you know, the larger firms, they probably do have some kind of training program or they have the resources and budget to be able to say, you know, for every new employee, you can have X amount of hours where you're taking this technical training. But really for the smaller firm, and honestly, we our, our makeup at ECEC, it's, it's you know, over, over 50% are the smaller firms that don't have yeah. that training yeah. budget. And it's, it's, it's uh, important that you have these well-rounded, you know, uh, engineers who come in 
because there are all those soft skills that you need to develop if you if you are a new engineer, right? And, right. and those things come in time. Those are things that we at ACEC are, are very interested in helping out with our own education programming. But a lot of it is how do you become a business leader in your field? And that's something that's developed over time. You know, these are the skills that you need that are actionable. You immediately have to put them into project work. Um, and yeah. Yeah, you, exactly. You need to rely on your new hires to be able to get in and do work. And often that means we accelerate the, the training process. We'll make a hire and we'll, we'll give them a two day or three day training in AutoCAD or Revit or whatever they, whatever they need to get to work. And that might get them to work and that might make it seem like a productive first six months on the job. The problem is after that six months, a lot of that training is in one year and out the other. Um, and more importantly, you, if you don't give them that training because you don't feel like you have a budget or you don't feel like you have time, they need to get to work, they need to get to work. The problem is you're seeing diminishing returns or you know, a slower growth of that individual over the next two years. Um, they, they really uh, have to learn it all on their own. And the pressure of doing it all on billable time, you know, producing 100% of the time, bringing value 100% of the time, it's a big strain on, on new, new team members. And yeah, something we've seen is it, when a company is able to put, let's say, you know, a couple thousand dollars into a new hire, um, even if they didn't have the skills originally, that's paid back really quickly. And then it pays back over and over and over in the first few years because they are more productive because they know the software better or they are more productive because they have better communication skills. Um, and so putting that, putting that time up front and investing in, in a new employee or investing in your team, uh, even a, a existing employees, those sorts of dividends are hard to see on paper uh, immediately, but uh, it does pay for itself. You know, these days, uh, you know, there's this old mindset, you, you put training into an employee's uh, path and, and you make them a better employee, they'll leave for a better job. Well, nowadays, I see employees leaving because they aren't receiving any benefits. They want to be seen as a valued team member. They want to see that in the way that they are being encouraged by the company to get better. And I think retention is being driven these days by um, when a company is investing in an employee. And that's during the onboarding phase, that's during you know their 10th year at the company. It's, it's important to, to make sure that that team member knows that they're being invested in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, even beyond that, I mean, you're a, you're a Adobe visual design specialist yourself. I mean, I, I've, my, my area is Adobe cloud. Um, I know that if they decide to make a version change or they decided to start implementing yeah. changes across platforms, that I'll find myself an illustrator trying to do things. And, and, and then I go over to, I spend all my time in illustrator. I go back over to Photoshop and I'm trying to force it to do what illustrator does because it's that these slight small changes have big impacts on workflow. You need to stay up on product versions and, and the introduction of different right. things. So, you know, that, that education along someone's you know, career path is important so they stay up to snuff when, when they have to use these programs. It's super important. Well, it, your example is, is great because I've seen that happen as well. The one I see all the time, my wife is in construction as well. She 
at her job uses Bluebeam for everything. I mean, yeah. everything, you know, that, that's an AutoCAD fix. That's a Revit fix. That's a Photoshop fix. It doesn't matter. It's Bluebeam. Bluebeam is, is the king there. And, and you see these types of workflows where it would be 10 times as fast to do it in the right software with the right workflow using industry standards. Um, but something is being brute forced because it works and uh, it seems like it's working and you feel good because something's getting done. But taking that, you know, step back and saying, what's the best workflow here, really? And is it that hard to learn or is it that hard to implement? The answer is often it's not that hard, especially with a with a good training partner. Um, and so, yeah, I love your example. I, I just you made me think right away, you know, making a, a whole wall move in Bluebeam, you know, and dragging mm -hmm. these lines and painting it with different lines and things. It's like just open yeah. the CAD file. Just you know, two minutes and print a new PDF, but that's not how it works for many offices, for many yeah. individuals. So it's a great example. You know, yeah, absolutely. there's been a push and it's something that we hear a lot more about and it's, it's across the software providers. And then it's also amongst the firms and this move towards digital delivery for products, for projects, things are becoming digitized. You've got BIM, you've got different standards for digitizing assets in a project and, 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 ISO standards, and it's becoming a much more technical uh, software driven industry um, that I can only imagine is going to widen the skills gap at the university level for those students who don't have the hands on um, application ability, you know, to use actually, you know, the applications throughout their 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 curricula. Uh, where do you see that going yeah. in, in your experience? Yeah. Well, it's it's multi-layered. First and foremost, you know, we're going to still see great educators in degree programs. And and like I said earlier, they're going to keep bringing relevant industry experience, relevant high level skills. You know, the things that we can do in building and in, in designing are amazing. Um, the problem is going to be the disconnect between what an educational institution thinks is important and what a, a hiring manager thinks is important. The burden is going to be, well, I'll just say this first. I think a lot of educational institutions are going to be struggling in the yeah. next decade um, because of the, the young people recognizing that that is a disconnect. They're going to recognize that yeah. up front. But even then, the hiring managers at small, mid-sized firms are going to be put in such a difficult position to say, okay, I used to just look for a, a four-year degree on a resume, give them a job, and I know yeah. they can get it done. And that's the position I was in in recent years. And I did that with multiple people. And it just doesn't work the same way it used to. You aren't guaranteed that they have the same mm -hmm. skills. You aren't guaranteed that they had a solid education, especially when I was hiring COVID graduates. Um, the engagement is completely yeah. different. So I see a huge burden being put on companies to filter those resumes and to find a right fit. And so... My encouragement is, you know, the good news is, I think in the future, we're going to be seeing a lot more hiring managers recognizing that this is a big challenge. And instead of trying to find the perfect graduate, trying to find a good yeah. culture fit, I, I, I really see it, you know, find someone who fits your company, find someone who wants to work hard and investing in that individual and making sure that they mm -hmm. feel valued. I, I really think that right now, a lot of young people 
recent graduates and the people who will be graduates soon are are just unsure that there's any um, there's any sort of they're not seen right and and as a as a person in the industry when I'm able to make one of my employees feel seen when I'm able to say to them I want you to do this because I want you to be better that sort of um, encouragement I can see resonating yeah. with them and so. It's a it's kind of a downer when we look at the education mm-hmm. space, especially four year degrees. But there's a there's a really wonderful opportunity to grow even stronger connections mm-hmm. with new hires, to grow even um, better employees than just relying on an an educational institution to create four year graduates and and then we leave it yeah. there. I think finding these appropriate educational uh, partners is really going to be a strong suit for. Companies that's, moving that's forward. an interesting point. I think that the corporate culture is, I, from the CEOs that we talked to, talking about how they kind of position their firms for organic growth and when they look at people and selecting people. And right now, I mean, you know, one of our uh, advocacy team made the joke pretty much when people were saying, you know, people come up to me and say, oh, you know, my son or, you know, my, my, my son's daughter, your friend has a, has a question because, you know, she's going into engineering school and was wondering, are you going to be able to find yeah. a job? And we're like, these days, if you want a job in engineering, you're going to get a job in engineering because there's so much of a backlog and we, and we need more people. But even, even yeah. in a time of, of, a, of a, you know, hiring crunch, there is this drive towards culture and finding people who could fit within the culture and then grow organically through those stages, yeah. both in management and then also in technical skills. So I think your point on that is, is, is well, is well taken. I do have to ask about what's next because, you know, we're having these conversations about workforce from an advocacy perspective, and we've just established a workforce committee to kind of organize and coordinate all the efforts around this. And it's a it's multi-layered, right? It's it's both getting people getting Absolutely. people into the pipeline, but then it's also looking ahead at what's next. You know, what is next? Is it is it is it more computer software specialists for AI? Is it you know less direct engineering applications and more support function. Uh, how do you see the industry kind of shaping up and where does VDCI look at expanding into the future? Uh, it, that is a great question. And I think it's an uncertainty for a lot of people and it's scaring a lot of people. AI as a concept is, is just scary for so many industries. The, uh, you know, the framers on a job site aren't scared. But uh, the people designing those floor plans sure are. And and here's where I see the we can't lose we can't lose track of the people in this industry. I'm in the architecture industry, different engineering disciplines and in the construction industry. We can't lose sight of those people providing the educational knowledge that a computer will never be able to give us. AI right now is trying to find a bunch of random stuff on the Internet and give you the right answer. Two plus two equals four great, you figured it out. But when we talk about, you know, codes, CAD standards, construction means and methods, these things are not easily solvable by a computer. And the best way to pass that knowledge on, you know, it, it's going to be people. The last big tech advancement was email, right, for the construction industry, and everything was phone call, handshakes, well, now we have email, so people can ignore me. People can answer me right away. Isn't that great? We can all work on slightly different schedules. We're seeing the same type of thing now with BIM models. You know, 
teams have uh, uh, a BIM modeler overseas. That's great. We have an opportunity to overlap. But at the end of the day, we're going to need to focus on reconnecting with the people who can teach us these skills and the, the people aspect of the human connection, right? So using an online platform for, let's say, asynchronous at your own pace training that's the right way to do it. But make sure you understand what's behind it. Is there a person behind the other end who cares about your training? Uh, we see these great um, uh, uh, systems already being in place, right? AGC has these live webinars. They're, they're giving to their members for free. That sort of person-to-person -person training is wonderful. I'm going to suggest we're going to see more asynchronous, meaning at your own pace um, in the future instead of the live Zooms we're used to in the past five years. But yeah, when we get into the conversation about AI and when we get into the conversation about uh, jobs being in jeopardy and that sort of thing, that's going to happen in every industry at some level. You know, uh, two-story bedroom, uh, you know, two-bedroom houses might be generated by AI in the future. But we know in this industry, uh, every project is different. Every project has a human element. I don't think we should be worried about that. But what we can't lose sight of is passing those skills on to the next generation. That's where I'm really passionate in making sure we have practicing professionals teaching our courses. They're all working in the industry and making sure we have people communicating with our students instead of some of these online vendors. So um, those are the elements we're focused on. And I think the industry is going to recognize as well in the next. Well, I think years. I got time for uh, one more question. And I do want to hit back on what you mentioned about asynchronous training versus synchronous training. Because I think that's important, especially with a lot of these applications that might have iterative updates over time. Right. Um, so you're seeing that the value is probably going to be more asynchronous training where it's kind of a la carte. You take on the training as you need it instead of having these you know, modules that kind of build upon themselves. Can you go a little bit more into that? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we get into the weeds really quickly, so I'll, I'll give a quick understanding of it. As, as we're seeing it as, a, as an institution who's done live training inside, on person, you know, in person, and then we go live online, and, and then we make courses online. We've made these asynchronous, take it at your own pace, courses for over 10 years now. The wonderful part about it that people don't think about is when you have a Zoom training, uh, five people are going to be sitting on their hands waiting for the rest of the class to catch up. Three people are going to be totally lost. And then the middle of the class is, is just going along with the pace. Those five people at the top and the three people at the bottom are not getting the right type of training uh, that they need. They're too fast or too slow. They're not understanding it. They need more practice. Um, asynchronous training removes that element from the conversation. You can go as fast as you need to, as slow as you need to. And the great part is you can do it from anywhere, anytime. You don't have to log in at 6 p.m. for a Zoom call. You can do it on your lunch break. You can do it before your morning emails. You have an opportunity to do it when your brain is most ready to learn. And uh, when it fits your, when it fits with your, you know, billable projects, you know, mixing it in with billable projects is really, really important, not only for retention, but also for immediate skills application. So um, I think that's going to be the future uh, because it's giving that flexibility. Uh, the only pitfall is, and certain companies are chasing that asynchronous nature, is they post a video and they set it and forget it. That's not good enough. You need to be updating your content, but most importantly, you need that 
professional on the other end of a phone call or on a, a chat line to say, I don't get this thing, what's going on there? So you need to have the best of both worlds, which is what we're, de- we're working on developing. Um, but asynchronous at your own pace, on your own schedule is going to be the future because it, it helps hiring managers set a schedule or it helps uh, continuing development be at your own pace. Like I said, nights, weekends, or during billable time, it's, it's going to be very flexible. Well, David, uh, tell us, uh, our listeners and viewers, uh, you know, where to find uh, VDCI and, and, and who to reach out to and, and for more information. Sure. Uh, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, David Sellers, but you can find us at vdci.edu. Uh, we're nationally accredited, so we have the .edu. Uh, we have a chat uh, on our website. We have some forums, some emails, but uh, reach out to me anytime if you have any questions. I'd love to start a conversation. And we just love partnering with companies, setting up custom training, setting up standard training, uh, and you know, helping these team members provide value right away and helping the companies feel assured that the whole team is producing at the same level. Well, thank you, David, very much. It's been a great conversation. Hopefully the first of many uh, want to stay in contact. And as, as you know, these issues pop up, as I'm sure they will, especially when it comes to workforce, uh, I'm sure we'll be checking in again. So I, I really appreciate your time. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks so much. Wonderful. And again, this has been another episode of Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We'll see you next time.